Welcome to Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, and this show is here to support your interests in center-right politics, policy, and breaking news. Listen in and discover how to awaken your inner ideal candidate. And if you're ready, how you can jump in and change the world as a runner or a supporter. Welcome to Political Contessa. If you or a friend have ever considered running or you know a woman who should, I've got something just for you. My quick guide called Secrets from the Campaign Trail. It will show you five signs to tell you you're ready to enter the political arena. To get these tips and learn about all new podcast episodes and ways to get involved, head over to politicalcontessa.com. Hello, and welcome to this episode of Political Contessa. I'm Jennifer Nassor, the Political Contessa, and I'm so excited to have with me today Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis. Nicole is the only Republican to represent part of New York City in Congress. She's also one of four female Republicans that are elected in New York City. The other three are on the New York City City Council. She is the Congresswoman from the 11th Congressional District, which which comprises Staten Island and Southern Brooklyn. She was first elected in November of 2020 and defeated an incumbent who is also a man. She was first elected to the New York State Assembly and served from 2001 to 2020. And this part I think is super cool, was the Republican nominee for mayor of New York City in 2017 and unfortunately was unsuccessful against the worst mayor New York City has ever had. So I'm happy to have with me today a wonderful woman, representative, and a role model for all women out there who want to get involved in public office. So representative, thank you so much for being with me today. It's great to be with you. I appreciate you having me on your podcast and look forward to our discussion. Excellent. So let's start from the very beginning. I mean, you're young, so, and you've been in public office for quite some time now. Um, How did you get your start? Why did you decide that running for office was important? Um, And what do you see as challenges for women today? Well, when I first ran uh, for the New York State Assembly, uh, I personally never thought I would run for public office. I worked for Governor George Pataki. Uh, I was a community liaison for him, but I really remained behind the scenes doing a lot of uh, uh, work for the governor in terms of building relationships with the various groups throughout the city of New York. And um, I loved politics and I had gotten involved at a very early age. My mom um, got me involved when I was just a 16 year old in high school. She wanted me to be involved in something productive, make a difference in the community. Uh, and some, as somebody who was a, a Cuban refugee who fled the regime of Fidel Castro, Uh, She was uh, very passionate about being able to elect our leaders and electing good people to office. So she had brought me down to a local campaign office and uh, volunteered and I I enjoyed what I was doing. I was I was just talking about the candidates, educating people, 
um, about why our candidates and why our Republican Party was better for the future of our city and our state. And um, I, I just stuck with it. I went to college and I, you know, went to work then at the, uh, for a nonprofit theater. Then I went, went to work for Governor Pataki. And when Governor Pataki had left, I went to private sector, worked for a local energy company. And then at the end of the day, I had been in nonprofit, public and, and private sector. But what really made me decide to run for office was the fact that um, I, I was taking a bus like every other you know, person who commutes to work, taking my bus to Midtown Manhattan. Um, and the tolls had just gone up, the fares had just gone up, and then the MTA still cut our bus service. And that really upset me. And I said, this is, there's something wrong here. We're paying more, and we're getting less in terms of service. So I decided to run against the incumbent assembly member at that time, and I won. And so I ended up in the assembly, and I was there for a decade. We, we fought very hard. We restored bus service, actually. We did get a a, a, a freeze of the toll. Uh, we were able to implement certain things that uh, addressed my concerns, but obviously more could always be done. Um, but we did a lot in terms of senior citizens. We did a lot in terms of uh, restoring, uh, you know, funding for our senior centers and also ensuring that we recovered after Hurricane Sandy uh, devastated my district. So I spent a uh, 10 years in the assembly and, uh, you know, we don't have to get into the whole history now, but, you know, I, as you mentioned, I ran for mayor in 2017 against Bill de Blasio. Uh, and then lastly, uh, I decided to run for Congress, uh, leave the assembly, didn't want to, I felt it was somebody else's turn to take up that banner. Uh, and I and I moved on to Congress, also running against an incumbent. So if you could tell here, I only run against incumbents that I feel are not doing their job. And that's just, I feel it's important for accountability that those incumbents that aren't doing a good job are challenged. And uh, I won two out of three of those races, which is, um, I think, great. And, um, you know, we've been able to do some real good things for our community and our country. So that is so awesome. There are so many takeaways from what you just said. So first of all, I think running, not because there's just an opportunity, but running because you feel passionately that the person who is in that office is not doing their job. And what I try to tell people all the time is, remember, our elected officials work for us. You get paid by taxpayer dollars, right? And so at the end of the day, if you're not doing what the people want, they should be challenged. They're not celebrities. They're, they're even though they think they are, so many of them, right? And, and in your case, you're actually doing the work that needs to get done and running against people because it's time for a change. And by the way, kudos to you to knowing that it was your time to get out of the legislature because I can't tell you, and you've seen this, how many people hang around in elected office in a position that they're stale at and they should move on at that time. Um, but my other takeaway is I can compare your story of, of riding the bus and seeing the fares go up to how parents are feeling today with the mask mandates, that the kids are wearing, you saw, you know, where the mom is showing the uh, hypocrisy of the school board committee members that are out without masks on and their kids at school. We see it in what our kids are being taught um, and parents finally got involved. And now these issues are kind of lighting a fire under a lot, under a lot of people who never thought about running for office before, but are. And I think that that's it's, it's, I think for women too, and maybe I'm wrong, but you see this, that we usually have an issue 
that bothers us so much that we say, look, I ran for Boston City Council. Why? Because the homeless people would come and pull apart our trash and then the rats would be all over the alleyways. And I said, if I see one more rat, one more homeless person taking out my trash, leaving it all over the alley, the rats running around, and then the potholes and the old ladies falling on the ditches on the sidewalk, I'm I'm done. And that's why I ran for Boston City Council. And I think that that's a really good reason. And I think most women run because they ha- they're passionate about something. Yeah, I mean, look, people people need to be involved in their uh, electoral system. I mean, whether it is by you know, running yourself or whether it be by volunteering your time, whether it be by going door to door and, or making phone calls to help a candidate get their message out, whether it be by making a contribution to their campaign. I think it's really important for everyone to be involved. Um, you know, people, people, unfortunately, are so busy with their everyday life, right? They're raising kids, they're working hard. Um, they may have two jobs, three jobs, they may be going to school at night, you know, and, and I think, unfortunately, um, sometimes politicians are going unchecked. You know, people don't know how their politicians are voting or what their what their what their beliefs are, and they may be completely out of sync with your values. And I think that is exactly what has happened here in New York City, where people are starting to pay attention because they realize that under one party Democrat rule, there's been policies put in place that are just making people's lives miserable, whether it's increasing taxes and misspending money or whether it be changes to the radical bail, you know, this radical bail law that Albany put in place that has led to people being unsafe and, or it's the defund the police movement here in New York, they cut a a billion dollars from the NYPD budget. They've been doing it in other cities throughout the country, tying the hands of our law enforcement, making it harder for them to do their jobs, or whether it be, as you said, the mandates. Uh, People are sick and tired of being told by bureaucrats and elected officials um, what to be doing with their business, with their lives, with their children. Uh, and that is why you're seeing so many people turning out, as you saw in Virginia, as you saw in New Jersey, as I hope you'll be seeing in New York this year, uh, to, to take their states and their cities and municipalities in a different direction, hopefully the country too. And I think that we will be able, if we hold on to seats like mine that we flipped in 2020, we'll be able to take back the House of Representatives and provide more of a balance. Just yesterday, we had a rally um, against uh, Governor Kathy Hochul's mask mandates. I mean, here's the governor at the state convention, maskless, uh, as the entire convention was. She's hugging Hillary Clinton, and then she's mandating that children have to be wearing their masks. It's just so hypocritical. And I think it's really the double standard that is most upsetting to people, because you're telling me to do something you're not even doing it yourself. So is this really about power and control or is it about following the science? All of a sudden there's, you know, you don't have to wear a mask if you're at the Democratic State Convention, um, but you have to wear a mask if you're in the classroom. Are these two different sciences we're following? It It doesn't make sense. And the average person sees the hypocrisy and that's why they are so angry. But I hope they translate that anger into some action in terms of getting involved, you know, helping the person who's running against Governor Hochul, helping the person who is is um, running against those politicians that have implemented these mandates, have dismantled public safety in our cities and that have in general just made us more miserable, (laughs) you know, and, and, and that's part of my frustration as the only Republican in New York City is that I'm surrounded by people that continue to push these awful policies 
And I can't do it alone. I need people to help me. I need other Republicans elected. I need the community to be out there holding Democrats accountable. So as someone who lived in New York, as you know, I, um, I follow everything that goes on in New York, you know, pretty much like the rest of the country does, as it is the epicenter of the country. Um, number one, you are so right. The hypocrisy is a thing I think that is, is really getting at people today. And I know as someone who always has like a GOP target on my back, um, that everyone knows where I stand. And uh, I always had friends come up and quietly whisper, I'm on your side. I'm a Republican. And I would say, you don't have to be quiet about it. It's not like there's a hit squad out on us. And now more and more, I go out to dinner with girlfriends and they will start openly speaking about the thing that's frustrating them. Over the weekend, you know, we saw that there was um, a four-year-old in New York that was sucker punched. How, how does this happen? How did we get to a world where now all of a sudden it is okay to only pay attention to the rights of those who have been incarcerated, but not pay attention to the rights of the victims, not pay attention to the everyday person who's on the street, to the mom and the dad, the woman who's pushing her baby carriage and shots are fired and, and they are the victims. And it, we have gotten into this situation now where you're absolutely right. We need not just people who are running for office, but people who are willing to go out there and to support those folks running for office. And I mean, you and I know very well that comes in the form of money. That's really important. No dollar is too small, of course, whether, you know, as far as contributions, that comes in volunteering your time on a campaign for someone that you truly believe in and someone who you know their issues and where they stand and someone who's going to do what you want them to do. It comes in you know, making phone calls and it comes in simply only talking to your friends and neighbors about that person who you like and going out and saying, I actually like this person, this is why. Um, so in New York City, you have the bail reform, you have a DA that doesn't feel like he actually needs to prosecute anyone and keep anyone in jail. Um, you have your governor is a walking hypocrisy. Um, so, and then, you know, on the, and then as, as a parent, I can say the fentanyl issue is a big, big issue. So, you know, that comes in control of Congress. There are certain things you can handle and certain things you can't, but you know, Congress, the borders being wide open right now and people coming over every single day that have records of being sexual predators, of trafficking drugs. What, what are we doing? What the heck is going on right now and how do we stop it? And why is it that our, um, our current administration and really not ours because we didn't vote them in, but why is it that they want us to believe that they're taking care of everything and everything is under control, but really nothing is under control. I feel like it is a massive, massive mess right now. So what, what can we do about it as non-elected people? I mean, yes, helping, helping all of you, but is there anything that we can do in the meantime? I think at the end of the day, it's about electing better people. Look, 
as New Yorkers, and you know this in Massachusetts, well, I guess you have a Republican right now <laughs> for, for this. For eight months. Yeah. <laughs> right now, but right now in New York, you know, we have one party Democratic rule at the city level, the state level and the federal level. And so the rest of the country is learning what it's like to be under one party Democratic rule. And they are, yes, putting the rights of criminals before victims. They're putting the rights of illegal immigrants before American citizens. And we're seeing this play out. These are literally the policies that they're putting on purpose. They're putting these policies in place. With the border, you know, President Trump had done a lot to secure our border, to restore some type of order to the asylum process. He implemented the Remain in Mexico where people had to wait on the other side of the border until their court hearing. What this president is doing is allowing 2 million people in one year to cross into our country illegally, releasing majority of them into the nation's interior. They don't report back for their court dates. Um, as you mentioned, many are previously deported. They have criminal histories. Some have even been on the terrorist watch list, okay? Suspected terrorists that are crossing our borders. Uh, and, and they're coming not just from South America, they're coming from over 60 countries from around the world because they know our president has said very clearly that the borders are wide open. So, uh, and as you've rightfully pointed out, you know, with that is coming a lot of nefarious activity. I went down to the border. It was one of the first things I did when I was elected to see firsthand what was going on there. And, and I'll tell you, the CBP is crying for help. Customs and Border Protection are crying for help. They've had their hands tied. They're short-staffed. They're being overrun by the drug cartels. They're the ones who are running the border, the drug cartels. And they're making you know, billions of dollars by smuggling people, smuggling drugs. Uh, and, and President Biden, this administration, is allowing to, it to happen on purpose. We're seeing fentanyl increasing uh, record deaths, 18 to 45-year-olds. It is the worst uh, cause of death in this country, not COVID, uh, in terms of 18 to 45 year olds, it is fentanyl. And it is coming over our border on purpose because the Biden administration won't stop it. We have a great bill called uh, Border Security of America Act that would implement a lot of the Trump era policies, put them into a law, make them permanent. It would give uh, increased technology for, uh, and modernized technology for our CBP agents. Uh, it would, it would, you know, continue uh, building barriers. It would, it would have a, a lot of different re restore remain in Mexico. But the bottom line is, is that Nancy Pelosi won't bring that bill for the floor for a vote because it's on purpose. All of this is by design. They want this to be happening. I don't know why you have to ask them. But the same thing is happening here with criminals and drugs in New York City. You know, drug dealers are being released back onto the street. You mentioned Alvin Bragg. He's he's prosecuting drug people who are selling drugs and preying on our children. He's prosecuting as a mere possession um, charge. So you know, it, it's 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 for some reason, and I think Alexandria Casio Cortez has a lot to do with it because since she came into office. She started pushing everyone more and more and more to the left. They're afraid of their own shadow. They're afraid, you know, they're, they're, it's all about self-preservation. And as a result, they are putting in place policies that are very reckless. Now, what can you do? Um, well, number one, stop electing the people that support these policies, okay, that are proactively implementing these laws or not prosecuting crimes. Um, you know, people, what, what amazed me is in people in Manhattan, they were so upset about crime rising in the city. And yet when they had a choice between two Democrats, they chose the one who was least likely to prosecute crime. 
So go figure. They had an opportunity to change course and elect somebody who's going to be a law and order prosecutor from Manhattan, and they chose to go the other way. So they can't complain now. You know, this is what's going to happen. Uh, they, the guy was very clear in his platform that he wasn't going to prosecute crime the way that, um, you know, you would expect of a, pro of a prosecutor. And, and now they're complaining that things are, are less safe. Um, so I think it's number one, electing better people uh, that you that share your values. But for now, it's it's holding them accountable. If if they vote this way, and they don't hear from anyone, they know think they can get away with it. So that you have to protest at their office, you have to make phone calls, you have to write letters, you have to write letters to the editor. You need to expose uh, to your neighbors, friends, and family members what your current elected officials are doing. That's the only way you're gonna really. Um, you put the political pressure on them to do the right thing. It's so sad to hear that this is being done on purpose because I have an 18 year old and I, this is my biggest fear. And I say all the time, just don't ever take anything from anyone because all it takes is once. This isn't a slip up and you overdose and you get your stomach pumped and you're okay. Um, this, this is death upon taking fentanyl and to think that they are allowing this to come into our country and that this is okay. I mean, but COVID we need to stop COVID, but we are not stopping this COVID is done and over with, and it just fits into their narrative of taking control of our minds, of keeping us waiting on lines for testing, for vaccines, for what they want us to do, keeping us in our home, making us scared of our own shadow. Yet our children who, I don't know about anyone else's kids, but I can tell you that right after the lockdowns ended and even during, all of our kids were out meeting in parking lots, sitting in their cars, still socializing. My daughter has been at parties that were broken up that were on the cover of the front page of the Boston Globe because they were so big in September of 2020. These kids are still going out there, still socializing. But for some reason, we're not concerned about that. That makes me sick to my stomach. And, and I think that it's, this, that's not a right or left situation. That is not a political matter. That is something that Nancy Pelosi should jump on. She's a mother and a grandmother. I, I feel like it's unconscionable to not be working on that and not make sure that and to make sure that we are not allowing these people to come into our country and to bring in drugs that are killing our kids. I, I, again, I'm going to go back to, you know, the sexual predators that are coming in who have records in their own countries and they're coming in and they're raping our children. How about in New York City, that poor woman who was attacked by a man that was under her bed, a homeless man under her bed. And yet we are all supposed to sit back because that's okay. How does that, please explain to me, how does that become a political issue when it's public safety and it's the health and welfare of our children? So I think, I think that there's a couple of things, like some policies that have just been put in place by uh, Democrats like Bill de Blasio and Governor Cuomo have led to what you're seeing in New York City. Governor Cuomo got rid of uh, beds, mental health beds, okay? Um, and, and we had warned at that time that 
we were concerned about reducing the number of beds when really New York needed more beds, not less. And so they went from about 27 beds per 100,000 down to seven, about 15 beds per 100,000 when really um, the recommended amount is 50 beds per 100,000. So now there's no, these people aren't being treated inpatient in hospitals, they're being released back onto the street. And that is why you're seeing so many of these mentally ill individuals who many are homeless um, and are not getting the treatment that they need, being violent, uh, creating chaos, assaulting other people, shoving them in front of trains, attacking them. And it's incredibly sad because we had warned that this was preventable. Same thing with Mayor de Blasio. He began warehousing homeless people. He wanted to build more shelters, build more shelters instead of actually getting people the treatment that they needed for their underlying addition and to help get them out of shelters into more stable, permanent housing, uh, perhaps supportive housing that addresses their underlying issues while giving them a a more permanent housing uh, structure. So he was warehousing people, creating more shelters, and, 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 and that is why we see ourselves in this homeless crisis that we're in uh, right now. So the combination of the two coupled with the revolving door of the criminal justice system has created the environment that we have at this time. Um, so, so yes, the elections matter, the, the policy positions of those who you elect matter. Um, and, and we have to elect more people just with common sense. I mean, it's just, these are things are common sense. We had to fight seven months to get the state, and this was when I was a state legislator, we had to fight seven months to get them to fix the bail law to the point where they at least added homicide and manslaughter back onto the list in which a judge can use discretion. Think about that. It was a blanket release. Blanket release. Seven months we had to fight for those things. Now, here we are, uh, you know, nearly two years later. And we're trying to add, you know, get more fixes to this ridiculous bail law. And despite all these reports that you're seeing in the paper, people, repeat offenders, a dozen, two dozen, maybe three dozen prior arrests, multiple convictions being released back onto the street, they still don't want to fix the bail law because, and I don't, you know, because they believe that, you know, keeping people in jail is wrong. And that, you know, like AOC says, oh, the people that are committing robbery, well, they're just breadwinners for their family. It's just such a ridiculous statement to make that this is okay. Um, but that, that is the message that some of these progressive politicians are sending. I, I, maybe it's just because I'm a Republican. Um, and I believe really truly that the only way to help people is, you know, you can pick someone up by their bootstraps, you can show them the way, but in this case, with people who have mental health disorders, you the, you can't just you're not helping them by putting them in a shelter. Helping them is getting them the help that they need for addiction, for mental health, and then getting them on a path to recovery and helping them get a job and training and everything else and bringing them out as a member of society. Um, and, and I guess it's so hard to wrap my head around how anything else is okay. It's also, as a lawyer, it's so hard for me to wrap my head around someone who is a prosecutor, and I've worked in a district attorney's office, but as prosecutors, how you act as a defense attorney instead. I mean, if you want to be a public defender, go be a public defender. You basically make as much money as you do working as an ADA. But if you're going to be a prosecutor, 
you have to actually prosecute cases. And, and I think the problem is at the end of the day, Congresswoman, I think the, pro the problem is that, and I don't know what the rates are in New York City, but I know here in Massachusetts, our mayoral election was decided ultimately by 25% of the voters. So 25% of the voters voted in the preliminary election. And then out of that, those two candidates that came out of the preliminary then went on and 33% voted in the general election. And now we have someone who's going to make Bill de Blasio look like George W. Bush. So, you know, so, I mean, I think that that is another big problem. I, I think also people don't pay attention in elections. They're not paying attention, especially for some reason to those down ballot races, to those off calendar year elections. You know, it's really fun to pay attention to what's going on nationally and say, oh, we hate Republicans, we hate Democrats, and we're just going to vote based on that. But I think, for some reason, we need to engage people more on the local level to make them see that those every decision is very important. So if you're in Congress, yes, it's important. Even if you're in Congress in New York, you are actually helping to effectuate legislation that will help the fentanyl and the border situation. And that is not closing the border. Look, people come over every day, as your family, as my family did, in a legal way. You come through. You do your paperwork, you wait your time, you become a citizen. That is lovely and we encourage that. What is not encouraged is having people come over the border that are going to do bad things to the people who live here. And so, you know, when you live in, in all of our states, the, the things that are done on a local level, sanctuary cities, that's where, you know, all these people get dumped. Well, who takes on the repercussions? It's the people who live in those areas that pay taxes, that are raising families, that have to deal with it. So we need to find a way to reach people and tell them it's important to vote in your local elections. I mean, I don't know what New York City is like, but when you ran for mayor, was there a 90% turnout or was it a 50? No, you know, it was very low. It was really among, it was basically the rate you said. It was about a quarter of the population. And so, um, it, it, you know, that, that is, that is a major issue and having low turnout in elections, um, is a problem and people need to, they can't just complain. They have to be a part of the solution. And, and, and certainly voting is high among that. And then volunteering, getting involved, contributing, whatever it may be, whatever your capabilities are, what your time allows. But I understand. And again, some people are so disgusted that they just want to be shut. They want to turn off the political process. They feel that doesn't really matter who's in office and nothing ever changes. But that's really not true. And we've seen over the years how it's mattered here in New York City. When Rudy Giuliani came into office, he really cleaned things up and he changed New York City for the better. Uh, he, he, he restored law and order. He uh, cleaned up our streets. He got rid of, uh, you know, people who were, were panhandling and the squeegee men. He helped transition homeless people out of the shelter. He reinstated welfare to work programs um, that gave people a skill. 
uh, so they can have an independent life. You know, he did a lot of amazing things and you saw crime drop significantly. And so, and now we're seeing a lot of that being dismantled by Mayor de Blasio or he it was dismantled by Mayor de Blasio. Uh, so who you have in office really does matter. And I think that, um, you know, that's why people just need to be engaged. It's the most important thing when you think about it because government controls like, so much of your life, you know, and, and, and if you want less government control, if you want less mandates, less restrictions, less taxation, you want uh, common sense, law and order, border security, all that matters um, in an election. And, and, and the fact that, you know, Democrats control everything in Washington right now is a perfect example for, for, the, for the country to see. You know, it's, things are very different right now than they were just a year ago. Yeah, it, you know, it's not about one party I'm not saying that Republicans should control everything, right? I, I'm, what I'm saying is there needs to be a balance. And right now there's no balance. If we get to take back the House, at least you'll have some type of balance. We, we could stop some of the real dangerous policies. We've been able to stop a lot already, even though we, we aren't in the majority. You know, we stopped anti-policing bills that they tried to take from the, the, the what the state has done and the city has done to the federal level. We stopped some attempts to radically change our election laws. We were able to stop that Build Back Broke disaster. Uh, we were able to stop Jerry Nadler and they're packing the court, the Supreme Court legislation, which is a page right out of the Hugo Chavez's socialist playbook of Venezuela. That's exactly what they did there. It's exactly how they destroyed that country. We shouldn't be bringing it here in the United States. So we've been able to stop some of their primary goals and objectives. Um, but really, if we want real checks and balances, you need to have a two-party system. Oh, I couldn't agree with you more. You know, I, that's what I try to tell people. It's about democracy, right? And you don't have to like it, but we do have a two-party system and things only function when you have two parties that are able to have a conversation. And unfortunately, you see that the Democrats have no balls. I mean, there's no other way to say it, but like there is no one there who wants to stand up to the squad. They allow them to just railroad things. I thought Nancy Pelosi, after all this time in office, would at least be a grandmother to some of these fools that have no idea what they're doing and then just went in there because they figured that they could get a lot of Twitter hits and then maybe get a job doing something else. And instead, it just seems like they have totally lost their course. I think coming from a world of where the Kennedys, you know, were the, you know, legends of this entire state, I think John F. Kennedy would be on standing on his head right now with the way that the Democratic Party is. And, you know, for Republicans, I think we maybe lost our way a little bit and then we kind of came back together. And maybe that was the greatest part of, of losing everything was that we have actually unified a lot more these days. Um, but we need some sort of balance. And, you know, I have no crystal ball, but history does suggest that the party who has control of all three houses loses in the midterms. And so, my hope is that we take back not just the House, but the Senate as well. Um, and even though it might be on a very small scale that we take the Senate back, it looks good for us taking the House back. And I really, truly hope that you are still there in 2023, because I think that you are phenomenal. You are exactly the kind of 
representative we need. Um, I love that when you first got to Congress, you started a group uh, of folks like yourself who also, you know, had family members that came in from communist countries and to kind of go against the squad. And I think that we need more forward thinkers. We need people looking in the front mirror and through the front window and not the rear view mirror and talking about things in the past um, and making sure that all of us, our families, whether that consists of our parents, our great grandparents or our grandchildren, that all of us in America are safe and on a good trajectory to having businesses, creating those businesses, being able to make money, make your own opportunities to be safe. I think that that's why people came here in the first place was for a better life, for freedoms. And it feels like those freedoms are being taken away right now. So uh, Congresswoman, how can someone find you? Um, what would you need from uh, anyone looking to maybe help a female member of Congress who is uh, up for re-election and any other parting words? So uh, just so people understand quickly my the dynamics of what's going on in my re-election, I was elected in 2020. I defeated a, a Democrat incumbent who uh, happened to be a rubber stamp for Nancy Pelosi. 96% of the times he voted with her. And then he marched with a, a, a local group um, in front of the police department. With, and they started chanting the defund the police uh, movement, all of that. So he marched with the defund the police movement locally. And I think that's really why people were fed up uh, because he he ran as a moderate and then he turned out to you know vote in lockstep with Pelosi and the Socialist Squad. Um, we're working hard to make sure we preserve this seat uh, with redistricting. They've tried to um, you know change the boundaries of the district to tilt the scale to give this guy an advantage to come back. We're not going to allow that to happen. Um, I won the new district when I ran for mayor, and we will do it again this year. So even though President Biden won. Uh, the new district, we feel very good about our chances to be able to hold on to this seat as long as we have the resources and the support. Anyone wants to be involved, um, they can always uh, find me on my website. It's Nicole4ny.com, N-I-C-O-L-E-F-O-R-N-Y.com. Um, they can sign up to volunteer, they can make a donation, whatever they're willing to do to help out uh, to make sure we preserve this seat. Um, and it is an important seat uh, not just for New York, but also for the country, because as I said, it's one that we flipped and we have to hold on to it to take back the house. Um, so everyone's help is uh, welcome. Excellent. Well, I, for one, am so happy to support you. And I thank you so much for coming on today um, and talking about these important issues. And I, again, you are doing a phenomenal job. Thank you for being the only Republican woman elected uh, from New York City to Congress and for holding down the fort over there. Uh, try to keep all of those crazy liberals in check <laughs> in the house. Um, keep doing a great job. And uh, we look forward to having you on again soon as your campaign continues to progress. That was Congresswoman Nicole Maliotakis, and I am so happy that she was with us today. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and I hope that you go, and I hope that you contribute or donate your time, which is very important 
to either the Congresswoman or any other candidate in your area that is running for office. Because as you heard, it is just as important to be involved as it is to run yourself. Take care, stay safe, and stay healthy. Thanks so much for listening to Political Contessa. For all the ways to listen and to get the inside scoop on what's happening in center-right politics for women like us, head over to politicalcontessa.com. 